1: this podcast is a Six Second Stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that helps you tell heartfelt stories to maximize your impact in minimal time. Find out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. All right, storytellers, I'm not going to give you a long, lengthy intro to this episode because this one is an amazing one. This is, and I know people say that, but this episode, our guest is Annette Simmons, the author of The story factor, whoever tells the best story wins, territorial games, Annette is the truth. Annette is storytelling royalty, and guess what? I didn't even know that she's right in my backyard in Raleigh, North Carolina. Actually, in this episode, I learned that in 2018-19, we lived a couple hundred yards from each other. I walked past her apartment building every day and didn't know that she lived there. Now, this whole season, it seems like I've been talking about uh, the connections made from this podcast. This. Uh, connection. I got Annette on the show from a mutual friend, Kathy Klotz guest, who has been a guest on the show and also a great friend and a great connector. A lot of the pe- people that have been guests on this show have been from Kathy. So shout out to Kathy. She continues to bless the show and my life. Um, and this is just one of those uh, those great blessings. Annette and I, wow, I took, I, I, I know I say this a lot because I'm so pumped about all the guests that we have on the show, but... Uh, Annette is the real deal. That is very clear. But we also had a very down-to-earth human conversation about storytelling. And I suppose that was so easy to do because if anybody knows humans and storytelling, it's Annette Simmons. Annette started her career researching and learning and understanding about group behavior among humans. I mean, and tracing that all the way back to the beginning of humanity. And specifically what casted people what behaviors casted people out of groups and along that journey so that's that was like the the concept behind one of her first books territorial games um but along like through that process she also learned the flip side of that coin which is what what binds people together in their groups? What brings them closer and deeper into the inner circle versus casting them out? What are the behaviors that do that and Guess what? Storytelling was a major part of that. We talked about how storytelling builds, grows, and strengthens group behavior. And you know, this is the one of the most fascinating, fascinating parts of storytelling to me and always has been. This is how we create communities. It's how we've always created communities. It's how we create trust. It's how we created trade. But before all of that, it created belonging, group behavior. Collectivism, and therefore, and I don't want to go too far into uh, regurgitating or, or potentially even plagiarizing *Sapiens* by Yuval Noah Harari, but this is what happened in order for us to create the myths and the the orders that we belong to, whether that's religion, whether that's money, whether that's politics all of that is is is, is cr- has been created by humans and all of that has been created through a shared belief in stories. So, I mean, this is the 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 foundation upon which our society and cultures are are based upon storytelling and nobody nobody was better to discuss that with than Annette. I um I connected with Annette on a, on a deeper level. Whenever the pandemic stops, she promised me that we'd get together and have coffee. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hold her to that because uh, what a lovely coffee, coffee companion that would be. I mean, we just sat back and had a normal conversation, wasn't planned at all, um, totally organic and went to layers, layers deep into, into how storytelling influences our collective group behavior as humans. So here's my conversation with Annette Simmons, and I hope that you love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Annette. Uh, I know it's been an interesting year, um, especially for those who, <laughs> before we were talking, uh, aren't sucking at the corporate tit, as we said. <laughs> People who don't have real jobs, steady jobs, secure jobs. But my first question is, how do you define what it is you do?
2: Well, um, let me start with my definition of story. Lovely. Because that that really informs, I I believe that story is uh, the recreation of a significant emotional event Mm -hmm. so that the viewer can vicariously have that experience. Mm. And then that experience then informs uh, with a new context, the way that they make decisions and and choices. And so... um, when I begin, first began when I first wrote the Story Factor. My job was I had written two books already. First book was about turf wars and territorial mm-hmm. games, and because it just drove me nuts that people would I would I would say, did you notice that in the group meeting? And they're like, no, that's not what he meant. And I'm like, yes, it is what he meant. <laughs> and so, so like what's I gathered, what's an
1: example of that? Like what he meant? oh,
2: it's uh, well, I I uh, I one of the things is that you're in a meeting and you start to make your presentation and all of a sudden this guy turns and starts to whisper to somebody else or they pick (laughs) up their phone or, you know, it's like, Oh, that's not personal. It's just like disconnection. Well, and on purpose. And so I came up with the 10 territorial games, the 10 things people do. Uh, one, one is like intimidation and, and all it has to be is like, what did you just say? And that's enough to kind of back somebody off. And so the only way I could articulate those things was by gathering true stories, because the first question you ask is, you know, um, so have you ever seen a turf war? And they're all like, oh yeah, you know. Uh, and and of course it's different for different cultures. And by the way, this was translated into fourteen different languages. So this is beneath culture. Everybody's territorial. Um, they told me these stories that would say, well, the guy stabbed me in the back. I say, well, actually, that's a metaphor, um, hopefully. And uh, so what actually happened? And then they would tell me these stories, which Mm. would uh, develop into a a game I call strategic noncompliance, which is you're in a meeting, the person doesn't like your idea, but just to buy time, they go, sure, yeah, we'll look into that. And then you think they're actually looking into it. Right, right so so it all started with my pet peeves about these 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 hidden messages that nobody was taking responsibility for and so the second book i wrote um is called a safe place for dangerous truth Hmm. so what i thought was if i articulated these 10 games and by the way it has to be done with humor or or it just devolves um in order to get people to admit to these 10 games, what I had to do is give them a context. And so I learned how to facilitate dialogue, Mm. which is basically each different part of a, a corporate structure, a government structure has their own story. The accountant walks in with the story that what we really need to do is buckle down on, on you know expenses. Great. The marketing guy comes in with the story what we need to expand and, and invest in new you know so you have you have these different stories and it's it's the conflict is because these people are operating with different stories about what we're here for. And so the way I facilitated dialogue, um, which which is very intense, it's just a come to Jesus meeting for people to admit that perhaps they don't have the whole picture. I would have you know the, the accounting guy describe his part of the story, kind of like the five blind men um, who describe a part of an elephant. Each one of these, these, these stories is part of the whole, but it's not the whole. And so my goal with the dialogue is to get the accountants story the marketer to understand the accountant story the accountant to understand the marketer story the operations manager and the senior executives and all of a sudden what they walk out with when they walked in with the small story they walk out with a big story mm-hmm. that encompasses uh, the whole thing and then you don't have the kind of conflict
1: yeah this the, I, I love where this is going already um so basically the two parties or more than two parties come in with preconceived stories that they have in their heads their their story that they have to live up to but they don't share them typically so they
2: don't they don't know how they just start from their ladder and start yelling at each other
1: exactly instead of sharing those stories and this is something that's very um, a major coincidence because I literally just, uh, the, the, the point that you're making here, I literally just recorded a video before we hopped on the, 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 call today about this notion of the bigger picture or the bigger story, as you said, and the metaphor that I use, which I love, I just finally put it on video was like, you know, if you hold your, your finger or your hand in front of your face and you close one eye, then anything behind that hand or whatever's blocking you, you can't see. But when you open the other eye, you can see everything and your hand is almost transparent, right? And so when you finally see, you know, those two stories or the two different perspectives, then you're able to see that bigger picture, that bigger story. So I love that you went there in the first five minutes.
2: And it's not just that that these, these problems get solved. They disappear. Yeah, yeah, they disappear, and so all of a sudden you can. It creates this on the understanding,
1: right, between yeah. the, the between the parties, so that then they can work together on the bigger story. But Absolutely. it's so you're so right that it's this is so neglected and overlooked, and we just get to our groups uh, and kind of like hunker down, armor yeah. up, as Brene Brown would say, and 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 fight it out.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. and so when I wrote the Story Factor in the beginning in 2000, um, I. It's all from that point of view, mm. like all of the things that I'm ta- teaching people about the six stories you need to know how to tell. The six stories you need to know how to tell for me is solving you know, this, this habit of not telling your story and going straight into what you, your demands are. So you need to explain to people who you are, why you're there, uh, what your vision is. Um, sometimes you need teaching stories uh, value and action stories are just so important because people throw around values like integrity and act like everybody knows what that means. But integrity means different things in different circumstances, different contexts. Integrity sure. could mean speaking up or it could mean keeping your mouth shut. Um, and if we don't tell stories that share what we mean by our values, then, then they're, they're meaningless. And then finally, um, the I know what you're thinking story uh, is the sixth story, which is there. One of my methodologies is is to understand and anticipate what somebody's objection is and then tell a story that validates, you know, like, oh, you know, this is how I see it, too. Mm -hmm. And um, pulls, you know, walks them through their story so that they understand that I understand their story, and then gives them a, a way to overcome their own objections in the privacy of their mind, rather than make it, you know, something where where we've got a tug of war.
1: So let's go back to that for the, the your first definition of what a story is. Can we revisit that? Is that something that you can you know a significant that
2: significant emotional event? Yes. Um, and 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 I use it as an acronym because it's S E E
1: significant so that
2: they can event. see what you have Ooh, seen you... and and can then um, understand as if you have taken them on a little field trip mm-hmm. of your point of view a piece of the picture they're missing or a piece of the picture that they're neglecting um uh so you know i have to admit i l- look at some of the ways that that people are using story right now yes and um it feels like to me that story is a body in a tub with ice being mined for parts mm. i mean it's just uh a lot of the ways that people have have dissected and, and exploited um, the, the smaller aspects of story, can deconstruct, our, for me, what my original you know, perception was, is that story is a, a very holistic, um, complex, um, and it needs to, to maintain that complexity. I'm I'm writing right now. Uh, uh, use borrow the analogy of the mycorrhizae that are underneath the forest, mm-hmm. and these messages that that get sent back and forth. Well, with our technological minds, we thought, well, we can improve on that. We're gonna we're gonna uh, measure for growth and for yield, and so what that turned into were strategies that in, that created clear cutting, and monocultures. Mm which actually destroyed the complex connections and underground messages, if you will, um, that keep a forest alive and functioning. The um, example is uh, the Douglas fir actually needs beech trees um, in in its environment because they share carbon
0: Mm. uh,
2: depending on season. And so with the best of intentions, I think we've taken story and we've done some things that look like monoculture um, and clear cutting. And um, it's, you know, I've been around for a long time and I've seen leadership trends um, come and go. And, and they're always gold in the beginning. Right. Uh, servant leadership, systems theory, you know, gold in uh, 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 TQM, total quality management um gold in the beginning and then people try to uh turn them into modules and and sure things and recipes one two three recipes right and they actually end up destroying they turn gold into lead
1: it it, it seems like they neglect the interconnected connectedness of it all right it reminds me of Orange juice, you know, instead of having the orange, which has the fiber that naturally occurs with it so that we process that sugar, we give kids, you know, the equivalent of 10 oranges in a a glass just with the juice. I don't know if that metaphor works for you, but that's that's perfect. That's That's what it makes me think of is like you're taking out the things that need to organically be a part of it. Everything is
2: with the best of intentions. You know, it's just that that we have uh, we're challenged now to to all think with bigger pictures. True. Um, and so I've done some work with racial diversity and, and a friend of mine yesterday was telling me about uh, the, the, his, his uh, uh, view of white people understanding uh, the black experience is kind of like sawing off the limb they're sitting on in a tree because, because to understand uh, the part of, of the story that you don't experience personally is going to, the benefit of course, it's gonna increase your empathy, but uh, the, the uh, difficulty is that it will d- increase your discomfort initially, because mm-hmm. we come with our stories and we're sure that we understand what's going on. And then when we have our paradigms busted by a new story, um, even though it's good for us and good for the world, um, it, there's a, a pause there for you sure. like oh, a lot of people I don't didn't... make
1: it past that boss.
2: I'm not very, I'm not as smart as I thought I was.
1: That's tough. What's the what's what is the antidote to that feeling? Is it continuing to share the stories or listening or or how do we get past that? I you're...
2: really, I really think the the we look at human systems and the driver uh, that we have, the need of of attention and human contact, is the payoff. That we get when we expand our stories and include more and more people in our what I call the circle of our moral concern. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's anybody who's who's gone to a soup kitchen on Christmas and served knows how good it feels. and and the payoff there uh, has been has been, I mean, Oh, I'm sounding like an old lady, but social no. media has turned this need for attention yeah. into a need that can be taxed mm. uh, and monetized. But the real payoff is is the driver that I think will never be extinguished, which is to feel like we are in community, to feel like we are connected. And uh, stories that achieve that uh, usually have, Several levels of complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, I view stories as the only vehicle by which we can understand paradox. So when we minimize paradox to be like our power is to dominate, no power is to uh, be connected. Well, power is both—you know—trying to achieve what you want to achieve, and the sense of being in community is 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 the power to create things that. Are bigger than you could achieve by your yourself. A story can hold both of those, and in it's and in, and in, and in, know that it's both and not sure. either or. Sure. But when I was growing up, uh, teaching leadership, uh, we had these you know leadership attributes, and it's an example of how people can truncate that you know a leadership is supposed a leader is supposed to be flexible, and a leader is also supposed to be firm and clear. Well, which one is it? You know, it's both. Yeah. Uh, but but the way that leadership was taught for a while there was um, acting as if you developed these attributes in isolation of their their couplet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What led you to study leadership or or groups?
2: I um I was not popular in high school.
1: What kind of kid were you?
2: What well, was I was I I'm weird. I mean, I've taken several psychological tests and everything, and I'm like way out on the edge. Wait, what, so was it, just,
1: wasn't your father a psychologist or? or? He
2: was a social worker okay. and my mom was a teacher and, okay. and neither one. Well, dad tried to help me. It was when I was when I was in high school, um, I actually got blackballed out of Z Club. And and I have been excluded. Um, I learned there's one of those psychological tests and measures that I'm just just so far out on, and it's 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 how you respond to change. Mm. Like, do you like to keep things the same? Um, in the middle is a bit of a mix-up, and and then there's me, <laughs> way out, you know, on the edge, that can come up with ten ideas in ten seconds. People don't like that. I, yeah. I learned. and that's
1: pretty unique, yeah.
2: And so I would end up getting excluded because I was, you know, I guess just too much or too this <laughs> disquieting, or. Um. And so I honestly believe that all of all of my my research has been how do I fit in? How do I? And then the other thing is that once I started working for Jay Walter Thompson, um, I was uh, an executive. I was a suit. Um, in charge of, you know, uh, a team of twelve, you know, with with people who are buying print and traffic mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And um, I was like, how can I get these people all on the same page? And I approach it from a psychological point of view because, like you said, my dad was a social worker. He introduced me to transactional analysis and mm-hmm. rational emotive therapy. And so I've, I've, it's always been about the group is like, how do I stay a part of the group without getting kicked out, and how do I help a group take these smaller stories and and discover that they were, were all on the same team? Mm-hmm. Um, Turf wars was one of the examples. Was uh, I was uh, back in the day, database, mail order, uh, you know, uh, direct mail was, uh, I was in Australia, it hadn't been introduced yet. And so, which is the antecedent of all of the, the uh, aggregation that's going on with databases these days. Right then we only had lists, you know, that we could then merge and purge and uh, from men's uh, fashion magazines crossed with, uh, I don't know, sports magazine subscriptions. It was so antiquated but that's, that was my challenge. And so I've always applied a psychological, social psychological analysis to whatever I'm trying to achieve. And so after a while, I realized advertising was not as interesting to me mm-hmm. as the group dynamics. And so that's when I went back to grad school um, and I got a second uh, uh, master's degree in adult ed and psych. Um, not training and development so much because training and development is still is is was already stovepiped, um, and adult education I think is a uh, a field of study that really studies social movements sure. as much as anything else, and so that's why I chose to spend my time with that. Do you
1: do you remember? the moment, it might not have been one singular moment, but when you, because you were studying and writing about the things that cast us out, right. Uh, ostensibly uh, inspired from, from your own story, your own life. right. <laughs> um, so at some point it seems that there was a realization, you know, there were certain activities or actions rather that cast people out, set people apart, deconstructed the group, so to speak. And it seems that there was some point where there was an epiphany or a light bulb that went off that said, and then in story or storytelling, story sharing has the opposite effect. It brings the groups together. Do you remember when that realization started to form in your mind?
2: Well, I I hadn't called it story yet, Right. Okay. but starting with transactional analysis, the basic idea is that inside me, I have a parent, I have an adult, and I have a child. Mm. And inside you, you have a parent, adult, and child. Totally. So if I start acting like a child, either you will start acting like a child as well and we'll play, or you may start acting like a parent, and then we you know have that thing going on. Well, in a way, transactional analysis was was the first application of story, which is a child has a particular narrative about what the world's about. An adult has a particular narrative. And by the way, that was the goal, if you could get somebody else into their adult state by staying in your adult state. Um, uh, and a parent has a particular way. And that's, that's not uh, exhaustive in terms of the only ways that you approach the world, but sure. they're pretty robust, mm-hmm. right? And so that was when I first realized that if I change the way I, uh, the story I'm telling, that it changes the story you're telling. So if Huge. I stop acting like a child and start acting like an adult, you know the goal is we both end up an adult, unless we want to have a good bitch session, and then we both end up parent. <laughs> All those crazy kids these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would that would have been the first time. The second time was <laughs> um, when I facilitated dialogue. I actually designed a graphic. Um, I, I have found that graphic representations with a group. Are much more effective than words, because words people start to wordsmith and they disagree with you know the meaning and the semantics, semantic exactly. But I designed this model um, that uh, is a five stage uh, uh, process of dialogue, and in the beginning we each have our own. So one your one story is a, a triangle, one story is a square. And it's in this container, because we we're all on the same team for some reason. Um, but on top of that is politeness and pretending, which is if we were honest um, about what we really thought, uh, it would be disruptive to, to the group. And so we actually have to create a space where we move from, the state at which we get things done which is is you don't go too deep otherwise you you know are navel gazing we needed to move into for a special circumstance the state at which we are allowing ourselves to be vulnerable not just in listening to other people's stories but admitting our own and so that takes the politeness and pretending off temporarily gives people a chance to share their stories um in a safe you know psychological safety is is now documented as something that helps groups perform so you create that psychological safety they share their stories and what happens is the triangle starts to bend out because it's no longer part you know it's open and understanding and the triangle then moves into the little curly cube, and then the square opens up um, and then you end up with this, what I call resolution, um, which is the understanding that, you know, we, we now all have the same parts of the story. The important part is that there is um, initially a feeling of chaos. When everybody starts sharing their story, it feels, feels very destabilizing because it is. Um, And I mean, it's intentional. And so if I can get people to understand that this is the discomfort that's going to get you to similar what we were talking about before, what's the motivation? Mm -hmm. This is the, the complex, the discomfort and complexity that is stage one before you understand how your story connects with other people's stories and create the whole. And so there's this, this, this stage where, where it feels really dangerous. And so the title of that book is A Safe Place for Dangerous Truth. Hmm. Feels really dangerous, but then the stage of discarding and redefining is characterized by these long pauses, which is not normally considered a power move in a group meeting people start to speak slowly and they go no wait a minute what and that's when you're really doing the the work of creating this new bigger story Mm -hmm. and then once you've created this new bigger story it's it's a single component of all of these smaller stories and then frankly you have to put the politeness and pretending back on because we can't be constantly opening to have people char- challenge our narrative. We need to, you know, live and work. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's really where uh, the second time when I began to realize, yeah, this is this is what uh, I think helps people.
1: I like the part about the people start slowing down and stop having to talk so fast or talk louder. And it reminds me of that when I was just starting out as a documentary filmmaker. I had a mentor that was coaching me about the interview process and how to, how to not throw someone a lifeline or if there's an awkward silence or a pause to, to kind of fill that space. Cause it is a little uncomfortable and say, you Perfect know, example. and kind of help them answer it because if you just paused and rested in that moment of silence, almost always yes. the gold came next. They were yes. marinating and deeply thinking about something. And I, I really like, how you went there because to, to connect with stories like that and reach the heart of that, it, it is a slower process. It's not yes. this aggressive, you know, talking over people. Do you think this is a thesis or a premise that I've been kind of uh, pondering on lately? I mean, do you agree or do you think that storytelling is um, a collaborative art? I mean, the story listener is almost as important as the storyteller.
2: Oh yeah. I, I actually have begun to use, uh, uh, evolutionary psychology frame for storytelling. Great. Storytelling. Um, when we're kids, stories Mm -hmm. tell us uh, who to trust, who not to trust, how to behave. So it's, it's the socialization process and, and stories help us remember things that are easy to forget. Totally. And so the things we have to constantly remember is, are things like patience, things like um, sharing, um, and, and it's, it's not like, you know, at 60 years old, uh, I got that down, you know, it's, it's the stories that continue to remind, like your, your documentary, I love that, the, the, it reminds me of how we don't need a gym, you know, it reminds me of all the things I could do if I just create community around it, mm. and it reminds me of, of how hard it is to protect community, um, once, once it becomes a fad, if you will. Um, so these, this is the purpose for me of storytelling, is to continue to help us remember that we're not just in it for ourselves. And most of the storytelling that, that feels meaningful, I think is this, the stories that create, that move us from I, it, uh, borrowing from Buber to I Thou, mm.
0: um,
2: and and those are the stories I think that that continue to deliver such a powerful reminder of who we are and why we're here that we call it entertainment, um, but it really is us. You know, going back to trying to figure out how we can be trustworthy, who we should trust um and and what's important to do now
1: back to, back to your definition of story um because i think it was just it really encapsulated it very very well the, one of the first things you you mentioned in that was the emotional aspect of it and how that uh helped people see a piece of the 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 bigger p- picture that they're missing can we talk a little bit about the emotional components how important that is how to how to achieve that in a story like what are the elements that make that emotional connection in a story i mean i'd have to think think there's go ahead
2: we're we are our own divining rods
1: okay right
2: so so you don't you don't make a documentary about something if it's not meaningful to you Mm. so first of all that's how we figure out what's meaningful is is we figure out what's what's changing our lives or what has impacted us so profoundly, we want to share it with somebody else. And I think, so I call that we are our own divining rods in that it's our Tolstoy's definition of, of, and I I pull from Tolstoy's Tolstoy's definition of art, which is to take an experience, an emotional experience one has had, and then to recreate through dance steps or painting or storytelling, a similar experience that somebody else can experience that, that moment of beauty or that moment of meaning that, that is encapsulated in the story. And um, so it's our own emotions that help us figure out what will connect with other people. I add to that that I believe that there are a finite number of human experiences that we can all connect on. Um, all of us have been betrayed all of us have been uh, included when we didn't even deserve it. All of us have been forgiven um, and, and all of us had done something we really needed to be forgiven for. Um, so, so when we find these essential, you know, universal uh, human experiences, and um, we mine into that, each one of those universal experiences has a very specific story so if I tell you about the time I was betrayed, um, I'm, i i am that's not a story I wanna, a time I was, I always say that that we've all fallen in love <laughs> and we all been dumped. And if you haven't been dumped, I, I don't wanna hear about it. So if I tell you a story about the time I was dumped, ghosted. Um, oh Lord. And you know, uh, you, so you got the same emotional yep. experience. Yeah, that's it. And
1: and what's funny just about my personal my personal experience that word that you chose ghosted like that was the one. You didn't need to say anything else and it just yeah. daggers to the heart.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so it's it's when we put these elements um when we seek to examine these experiences and our reactions to the experiences um we we validate number 1 that 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 we are human in the same way. Um, and that's okay. a payoff right there. Um, that's what I would be defining as meaning.
1: So, and then kind of the end of your definition of story you talked about it and I'm, I'm paraphrasing obviously, or, or, or summarizing, you know, shows them the piece of the puzzle that they may be missing. And then remind me of what you said exactly, but essentially, or effectively, it was talking about uh, allows them to take action or take, make the changes they needed to make, or what was the last piece of your definition of story? It was I have about,
2: I no idea. Uh, well, okay. So that, so that was off <laughs> the, the cuff. I didn't know if that was like a,
1: a website tagline. Um, but I don't
2: have any taglines these days.
1: <laughs> it seems like you got a bunch uh, in your arsenal, but that's just how embedded uh, embedded this is in, into what you do. But, um, you know, we talked about making that emotional connection that helps people you know, see a bigger picture, but then you landed on, uh, it alla- essentially it was allowing them to see the way forward or make the changes they needed to make. There was oh, I the,
2: see. It creates a new context to interpret yes. their world. So, so, so
1: my, basically my question is like, why and how is story so effective at inspiring change and inspiring action when someone hears that? So now we know we've connected with them emotionally, right? Ghosting, boom, I'm connected. What is it about the story? What is it about a great story that uh, inspires change in, in, in the person hearing the story?
2: Well, I think I think um, in in this example, um, uh, a story of somebody being ghosted, and then interpreting it. You know, you could you could either just go crawl into a hole, mm. or you can. Um, uh, completely you know be uh immune to it which is not in my capacity or you can be hurt and then you figure out a way to turn that hurt around um to frankly making better choices at who you go out with (laughs) you know what i mean it's like it's like for me the story the stories we have about being ghosted i imagine would would create a wonderful checklist Of red flags that you know so so it's turning this 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 hurt into empowerment and so once Mm. once we have a story like that um out there then uh someone who has just been ghosted listens to that story and realizes, oh i don't have to crawl in a hole or i don't have to pretend like this doesn't hurt um i can i can
1: Turning hope into empowerment. I'm sorry to interrupt, but logic. I just that line.
2: Well, is, yeah, and, is and,
1: storytelling.
2: Yes, yes, and 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 not just empowerment, but strategies. Uh, the one things that the stories do is they they don't just say you could have a different outcome. They say this is how this person, and mm. the specific, created a different outcome.
1: So you yeah. So you can see you can project a way forward.
2: So what happens when we listen to a story is that, that if it's a good story, we, we enter a place of receptivity, which in, in the big tents in the National Storytelling Festival, you'd look out and everybody jaw just be dropped. You know, it's a form of hypnosis. It's just amazing. And so, but all of a sudden we're in that story because the storyteller's job is to create enough sensory stimulation to mimic a, a physiologically firsthand experience. And so when, uh, for instance, one of my favorite storytellers, Ed Stivender tells this fabulous story about uh, the hag Ragnell, uh, which I can't go into, but, but she's a, a, a hag at night and a, a beautiful woman by day. But when we're first introduced to her, he describes her as having one tusk that goes up and one tusk that goes down and there are weeping sores with all sorts of liquids coming from out of her face and a big wart, you know, hanging off the top of her nose. And, you know, and by the time he's finished, we're all like, ah! But that's the sensory aspect of the story. Yeah. When I'm teaching, um, I, I, I use the, an example where I have someone imagine with their eyes closed a lemon, and uh on a cutting board and then take a knife and cut that lemon in half and you see both of the halves kind of rock back and forth and then beads of juice start to well up on the flesh of the lemon and then you take the knife and cut that half in half again and bring the quarter up into your mouth and bite deep into it <laughs> until all the juices or squeak, and so it's like I, I. Then, did you have a physiological? Of reaction? course,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I pictured the, my face that I made did and you, everything.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, and and your saliva glands, even <laughs> you know, activate people. People can you know feel that pinch that happens when you. And so the thing is that storytelling actually recreates a complete sensory. Uh, experience in the mind of the listener that then gives them something like a a vicarious experience it was an original virtual reality storytelling is the original virtual reality and as far as I'm concerned it's it's still better than what we've come up with
1: that was amazing uh that whole experience was just amazing you kind of just blew my mind there um I'm writing that down. Um, I know you've got to go. I've got one more question. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about how story and storytelling, story sharing can strengthen communities, you know, where people may be stuck in their silos. Uh, do you think story uh, and storytelling can can build a community?
2: Without a doubt. It always has. It's, um, it's how religion got built, um religion is is nothing more than a bunch of stories um all the world's religions are are a collection of stories that 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 render the listener as no longer being alone and that's what builds community
1: Ooh, that's profound I mean, it is, that's, that it's all comes back to that, right? All comes yeah, back to, really uh, to our identity and us feeling and th- just needing belonging and, and community. And so to that, to that point, do you think that it's so, cause we've, we've got word has come back so much today, community and how important it is to us, whether we're building a, a team uh, in business or whether we're just trying to navigate psychologically through, you know, the, the, the world that we're in. Um. Is it safe to say that if somebody wanted to generate, to to create that community, which we all seek, that storytelling and sharing their stories would be the a good first step in trying to achieve that?
2: Well, I've actually um, workshopped that. <laughs> and um, so I've worked with racial diversity. And when I was in Shreveport in Louisiana, um, it's bad there. They, the. Caddo Parish is the second um, highest number of lynchings historically. Uh, and that's, that's the city I was living in. So, so it was tough. And, and so what I did was I created um, a show, a storytelling show and the, all the stories, all the stories, and there are an endless number of them. We're talking about a time when you felt included or a time when you felt excluded. Because white or black, we know what it feels like to be excluded, ghosted. For sure, you know that's a really powerful thing. And so what happened is, and my goal—the hardest thing about doing racial work is—is is to create an audience that's uh, diverse. True. So you end up at a white church and only the white people come. You go to a black church and only black people. Go, you know that sort of thing. So so. A lot of what I did was designed not just to produce a story, but to produce a diverse audience.
0: You,
1: yeah, um, in Louisiana, you probably got to do that at a football game or something. Well, to get everybody.
2: Yeah, I, it's um, uh, although yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going to touch football. No, I'm just. Saying. <laughs> but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. So this was an alternative where white and black people can sit in the same room and all of a sudden feel like a part of the same community yeah because everybody shared um the experience of all of the stories there's no way to get defensive about somebody's story about what it feels like to be rejected they're not blaming anybody you're just identifying oh god yeah that sucked um and then when they tell the story about about belonging somebody helping me when when i I didn't even deserve it probably didn't deserve it um i tell that story and and most people respond with yeah yeah that's who i want to be out in the world i want to be the kind of person that can take someone who's made a mistake and help them be better after it rather than feel condemned Hmm.
1: i think that's all that we can hope for uh annette it's been wonderful to talk to you i think that's a perfect place for us to end uh whenever things get back to normal i am going to come for that coffee
0: absolutely Um,
1: but i i love that you're that you're so close and that you know north carolina's becoming a a great place to live i grew up here um and i've seen it change a lot over the years and so yeah
2: my partner chris grew up here as well um and uh i returned here I didn't grow up here I, I i came i went and i came back
1: Yeah, i i was born here i left moved to new york for some years tried to get away from my past and my story and then ultimately imagine this annette i embraced it and now i'm the happiest <laughs> i've ever been back here in north carolina <laughs> raising my family Yay! um thank you again so much i really appreciate I'm your sure. time my name is rain bennett Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.